What's going on? What's going on, Ro Parrish? I want to welcome you to the show, Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. We have an Emmy Award winning host here today. It goes by the name of Ro Parrish, and he's got his own retired DJ Snapback on. <laughs> I do. I do. The Emmy's right here, right above my shoulder, so we conveniently placed that so everybody can see it. <laughs> well, why don't we start off with the Emmy Award and how did it feel to achieve that throughout your career? Because five years ago, I did hear the story that you told that you were in a different place and you've been really grinding out. Yeah, no, I was in a totally different spot when I did win my Emmy. I actually wasn't even able to receive it at the ceremony. I was on my couch in Chicago. I was supposed to be at a Kanye West concert, but if you go back and do the math, he had ended up canceling that, that concert. So couldn't go, sitting on the couch, bored, Got a call from my producer for my former show, and he was like, yo, you are a Emmy winner. So it was dope because it was my birthday. And um, although I didn't get to go to the concert, I got some nice hardware to show for it on that day. So that was dope. Um, but that was a, a different time in my life. I was working at the first digital sports network, and it was in Chicago. And it was kind of a weird situation. It was a startup. So with that being said, you already kind of know what type of situation it was. Um, but I learned a lot, worked with great people. It didn't work out, but then I uh, ended up leaving there and migrated my way to Turner Sports and NFL Network, too, and the rest is kind of history. Mm -hmm. You also did some DJing for NFL Network, and you host right. a lot of parties with Deion Sanders. Right, right. Shouts out to Coach Prime, who was about to have a history-making season with Jackson State. I love Coach Prime to life. He is someone who I have idolized since I was a young boy. And to have the opportunity to work with him in that one-on-one -on -one situation and actually build a personal relationship, bro, let me tell you, there's nothing like it. Like, there's nothing like being able to work with someone who you grew up admiring. My name in high school was Baby Dion. Like, I had everything, and they, they knew that was my guy. So, shout out to Coach Prime. Now, what was your prime time for as far as team-wise goes? Did you like him when he was on the Falcons? Um, I mean, of course, I, I learned about him when he was playing with the Falcons. One of my first memories was a Saturday game when they played the 49ers. We've seen the footage. He lines up against Jerry Rice, puts his hand out, and he pretty much shut Jerry Rice down that day. He had an interception, had multiple pass breaks up, breakups. That was when I was introduced to prime. But... My favorite prime by far, and people will argue with me about this up and down, but 49ers prime is probably the greatest defensive back of all time. Just the season that he had, he didn't even play a full season, still has six interceptions. Three of them he took to the house. He averaged 55 yards per interception return, defensive player of the year, Super Bowl, and still hands down some of the best throwbacks ever in the history of the game. So Niners prime is to me the best version of prime. Love Cowboys prime. Washington prime was cool. Love Ravens prime, but 49ers prime was that dude. Yeah. Oh yeah. He was, you see all the highlights back in the day and he, he was just a beast. I want to get into your time at university of North Texas at Denton, because this is talk, where you would, talk. you would major in radio. Right. And, and broadcasting was, and TV as well. I was all over the place at, at UNT. They have what I like to call, so so I'm a, a huge supporter of Miami, uh, the Miami Hurricanes. I have a number of homies that went there and we know how they churn out NFL talent. So my thing was, I was like, yo, UNT turns out the same type of talent when it comes to radio, TV, film. There's a number of people that have come out that program that have done major things here locally. 
uh, in Dallas and have done things nationally. So I was like, listen, this is where I need to go. So from freshman year, they really opened the door and it wasn't a, and, and I don't, everybody's college experience is different, but some colleges, they make you wait two years before you can touch anything. Yo, the first day they came and it was like, yo, you want to be on the radio? And I was like, wait, what? So <laughs> like, it kind of like threw me off. So that first semester, I didn't do anything, but that second semester, that's when I started jumping in, jumping into the radio, jumping into TV, doing production, doing anchoring, running the camera, like editing films. Like I was doing everything. So my time there was great. It was a situation where steel sharp and steel. So many people, we were very competitive with each other. We all pushed each other. Um, Shouts out to Tim McMahon too, who's doing his thing right now with ESPN. Me and him work together very closely and I'm so proud of everything that he's accomplished. But there's a number of people that I work work with. Um, Shouts out to to Ben and Skin, uh, Jeff Skim Wade, who is the sideline reporter for the Dallas Mavericks. He's been doing major things for years. There's a lot of different uh, people from UNT who are doing very well in our industry. Mm -hmm. And eventually you worked your way to WSAV, NBC. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting situation. It's it's crazy because I've come full circle. Mm-hmm. Started in Georgia professionally at WSAV and I made my way back to Atlanta working for Turner. That was a situation that was short-lived. It really wasn't the best situation. It was a great learning experience. Mm-hmm. So at the time I'm coming out of UNT, Stuart Scott is that guy. Rest in peace to Stuart Scott, who I, who I love the life, who was always good to me. So obviously I'm taking some of what he's doing and I'm incorporating that flavor into what I do. The WSAV news director sees it. We like this guy and we want to hire him. They bring me on that news director that liked me ends up leaving. They bring in another news director who's like, nah, we're not really dealing with you. Like we're not, we don't need all that hippity hoppity, like just do the news. So that, that didn't last long, but it was, and, and, I'm glad that it didn't, it really, it set me back, but at the same time, it put me in a position to grind harder and figure some things out in life. Mm-hmm. And, and from there, how were you able to work your way and finally get to Turner and NBA TV, Mavs Insider, everywhere, everyone that we know you for, everything that um, we know you for pretty much. So, so basically what happened when I got back from Georgia, I had to move back home. It was a humbling experience. It was totally embarrassing. I'm supposed to be the guy that goes off and does big things. I come back home after WSAV. I started working at the number one radio station here, K104, a music radio station on the street team. Managed to work my way up to where I was on air and I'm running a high school football program and we're going to schools, we're doing pep rallies. Shouts out to Cat Daddy, shouts out to Lady J. Rest in peace to G Spook. We were all in the thick of doing everything high school related. So you start to build up your name. I also interned for the Dallas Mavericks while I was at UNT. So I had that relationship. They saw what I was doing. They say, listen, we like that you're doing that. We want to bring you back to the Dallas Mavericks in this capacity as team DJ. So I did that for about a year. They said, okay, we're also going to have you be the team DJ, but one of the faces of our TV magazine program, which is Mavs Insider. So they paired me with Ali D. So we have this little vibe, it's chemistry. So we did the show for like six years. So I'm being the team DJ. I'm also working for the Dallas Cowboys in a a specialty role where like I'm interviewing players, but it's not anything about football. Like they know me from DJing clubs. So we talk about different things. So did all of those things for about six, seven years. Got to a point to where I reached my ceiling, exited, go to Chicago, told you about that earlier. 
And after Chicago, that's when things went bad, but um, got a phone call one day, hey, we want you to host something for ESPN. It was uh, a show called City Slam. Mm -hmm. So that kind of got me back in the mix and it was my debut on ESPN, so it was dope and people started to pay attention. And then I get the phone call from Prime and NFL Network. And then I get the call from Turner to uh, come to NBA TV. So everything happened really quickly. And uh, that's kind of how it all came together in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. And and you're a testament to just sticking to your guns and just keep rolling with it because a lot of people go through this in the industry and everyone can relate to it. Whereas you struggle and then you start to doubt your career and if things will turn and for the better. And it did. And you eventually won an Emmy. And I don't think you ever thought you were ever going to win an Emmy at that point in your life. (laughs) No, I did. No, it's crazy. And I tell people this all the time. There's always going to be people around you that are going to tell you what you cannot do. And what that is, they are placing their personal insecurities on you. They don't know, number one, what's inside here. And they don't know what's inside here. So anybody that's paying attention, that's watching, Never listen to people that tell you something that you cannot do because they don't know you. They don't know what your makeup is. They don't know what you're made of. Take that, put it to the side and do you. You got that right. You can't let anyone tell you what you can and can't do in this world. No question. No question. No, you can't. Or we wouldn't have people like you who beat the odds. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. I still struggle. And the thing is, it's like, Although I'm in a great position, I love my job. I love the people that I work with. It is still very competitive and you can't slip. You can't show up one day and not be on point. Like you really have to show up every day. Like I always like to go back and say the first day that you show up at your first intern, you gotta be hungry every day. You gotta be motivated. You gotta be ready to like, okay, like how can I make my presence felt today? What can I do to stand out? That's the approach every day. And, and that's the mentality that you have to have. Now, before broadcasting and everything, because we know you're a retired DJ, you're a resident <laughs> DJ for NBA All-Star Weekend, NFL Network, we know you for that. Was DJing your number one passion before broadcasting? Um, it's kind of funny. They've always worked together. Um, I grew up, man, shout out to my cousin Wes from up north. He would always send me music growing up. I'd go up there in the summertime, make mixtapes, and like, I love the music, but at the same time, I'm always locked in watching television as far as like Saturday, Saturday mornings were my thing. College football, I'm watching, yeah. um, you know, game day. I'm, I'm fully immersed in that because I love the game, but at the same time, I love broadcasting. So it's like, okay, I want to do that, but I love music. And it's like, how can I bring these two together? And I still haven't figured out a perfect way to bring them together, but I came up, like I said, went to school for broadcasting, did broadcasting in high school. My senior year project was me acting like I was a sports center anchor. So like, I don't even know what that video is, but I'm sitting here and I like had different angles. Like it was kind of, it's, it's weird looking at it now, but at the time it was very creative and I ended up getting like an A plus on my paper. So that was dope. Um, But now the broadcasting has always been the love. The music has always been the love. And it's like, okay, how can I figure out how to make a career out of both of these. And so far, I think I've done pretty well out of yeah. <laughs> a career out of both. No, you definitely have. When did you first receive your first set of turntables? So my first set of turntables, follow me now. I broke my first turntable at 10 years old. My dad had a turntable and it clearly wasn't a you know direct drive. So um, 
the record Lottie Dottie. I'm just scratching the record. Slick Lottie. Rick. Yeah. And Dougie Fresh. He was he was pissed off when he came home because I broke his turntable. So that was at 10. So I didn't get my first actual set um, till probably in my 20s. But my uncle was a DJ. He lived with us. So he always had his turntables around, all his records. So that was easily accessible. Um, but I didn't have no money. So and then in college, I would do like the edit mixtapes. But then finally, like later in my 20s, I finally got the dough to purchase my first turntable. That's when I was working at K104. And I got my stuff situated. And that's when I started really like DJing for real because I had my own equipment. Now at this time, when you were experimenting with DJing, mixing, blending, slicing, what were some of these records that you were loving to scratch back then? Um, I always go back to the classics. So I'm, I'm playing, like I said, so my cousin used to give me a lot of music, but then I also grew up in the Yom TV raps, raps. The golden age. Exactly. You know, the, the first memories I have are, you know, turning on the TV and it's EPMD. So what you saying? Or Rakim, like, you know, all these legendary artists. And I'm just like, wow. So th that's all the music that I would love to play, like personally. But at the time when I was mixing, it was during the crunk era. So this, like I'm having to play all the crunk music at that time, all your little Johns, all your little Scrappy, oh boy. you know, Jeezy, like that, that was the era that I really started mixing a lot. So it was a balance. The people here like that were part of the crunk era, they didn't want to hear none of that rock him. And like, you know, but I play that, you know, when I'm at the crib, I'm playing Jay-Z, I'm playing that stuff. So, um, but yeah, I came up in the crunk era. And then I started learning how to do other things and, you know, expanding my repertoire musically. Mm -hmm. What's your opinion on the hip hop game right now? Cause my opinion, it's, it's a dumpster fire. There's just, I'm an MC guy. I want the bars, especially being from the New York area. Right. You got to come with the bars, especially the boom back, the trap, just no question. <laughs> I, I put it like this. I love the fact that hip hop has expanded to the point to where, well, it's, it's kind of like the gift and the curse. Cause there's some parts I'm like, eh, I don't really like that personally, but to me, it's like, okay, it has a place. Cause there's somebody out there that likes that. Mm -hmm. I'm not a fan of the so-called mumble rappers, but there's Same. clearly, clearly a space that it belongs and people, you know, really rock with it. I'm with you as far as loving the lyrics, the boom bap. I've watched the locks dipset versus over and over again that has been one of the absolute highlights of my year just and i say like that right there seeing what the locks how calculated they were how organized they were they were unified they strategized they put everything together and they flawlessly executed the dip set and jadakiss had a kobe Jordan, I, I've never seen an MC like that in a zone like that in that moment where he took over and everything that he said, whether it was the ad libs, whether it was just talking, you know, ish or the actual bars, everything was strategic and laid out and they, oh my, it was surgical the way they took apart the dip set. So, um, but now I'm with you and, and I'm glad that that was highlighted and, you know, we're at a point to where I think that emphasis is being placed back on the bars, mm -hmm. you know, that was I a think, great moment in hip hop. 
Oh, it was. And I think that there's artists out there that are really just under the radar, but they, they, they have the following, but it's just, there's no radio play because the radio play, it's all the, the record labels coming in, play the garbage, but you have, yeah. you have artists such as Dave East, Griselda is really good. Right. They right. could really spit some bars, but. Right. No, I rock with, with, with uh, Griselda and like, you know, Davies, those, those MCs really come with it. So, and like, Griselda's put out so much, like it's hard for me to keep up with Griselda. They put out so much, I'm just like, yo, but um, they put out quality product. I really love Nas's latest project, King's Disease. King's Disease 2. Oh man, I, that's been that's been on rotation nonstop. Be, so between my Jadakiss playlist, mm -hmm. so I've actually chopped up different portions of the versus battle, and I've you know put together my Jadakiss playlist. So it's Jadakiss playlist and King's Disease too. That's all I've been listening to. I've been listening to, I, I got an early copy of Donda and it's, yeah, uh, eh. um, but now for like the whole month of August, it's been King's Disease and the Jadakiss playlist. Yeah, Kanye, it's, I'm not a big fan. After he put the red hat on and said the things he said. No question, I agree with you. No, I'm, no not, I'm not a big fan, I think yeah. he's, I don't know what's wrong with that guy, but that, yeah. I mean, and then if you look at the listening party that he held the other night, all the artists that he had up there, he had a controversial line of artists up there. That's Kanye. That's what he's about. Um, you know, he wants to get attention in his, <clears throat> in his own special way. Listen, I, Kanye can do whatever he wants. Yeah. You know, I don't know him personally. Shouts out to Tony Williams though. That's his cousin who sings uh, a lot on his albums. I know him personally. He's a great dude, um, but Kanye, I can't speak for him. I did not like the red hat. I took all my Kanye out of my iTunes. I wasn't listening. I wasn't playing. I'm like, I'm not rocking with Kanye. Um, you know, Hope said it in his verse. He's took off the red hat. And supposedly he's done with that, which would be great. So it's like, okay, I'll, I'll go back and listen to him now. I'm, I'm not as big a fan as I was initially when he first dropped. And, you know, like we talked about the boom bap, like he was a backpack rapper, you know, but he was the Louis Vuitton Don. Like he, he was a nice mix of both. He was. But then when he went left, it's like, who is this guy? Yeah, he's doing you know? songs with Six Nine, and <laughs> yeah, th that's not cool. <laughs> that ain't it, man. That ain't it. So, um, but now, nah, like you know, I, I hope things work out well for Kanye. The Donda project is decent. I, I like the fact that you know the the baby. The baby is one of these rappers I pay attention to. That's one of the younger rappers who I like. You know, he's controversial. You can say whatever you want, but he got bars and he's funny. Yeah. So, I like that he added him on the jail record with, with Jay-Z. So that kind of fit with everything that the baby's going through personally right now, the cancel culture. So I like that. I'm, I'm waiting to hear, I can't wait to hear like the new version of, of the jail record. Mm -hmm. What's your take, especially being in this industry on the cancel culture? Because it's so hard to just say anything these days, because if you say something that may be a positive, someone will take it as a negative. Yeah, everybody's very sensitive these days. And some things I understand and some things make sense. You know, if, if you're going to say something about somebody that's downgrading like their lifestyle, um, you know, their sexual preference, to me, that's not cool. Yeah. Um, you know, cause everybody's different and you have to respect what each individual wants to do. But sometimes it like, it just gets out of hand. It's like, are we really doing this right now? Are we making a big deal out of this? Like, really? Um, so it's tough. I'm just the type of person, listen, I'm a cool dude. I don't want no problems with nobody. 
I want to come in and have a good time and laugh and enjoy life and, you know, live my life to the fullest every day. You know, that's what I want to do. I'm not about this, you know, talking down on people like that's not cool to me. Yeah. And then speaking of other hip hop news, Drake apparently crashed in the sports center. He hacked it. Certified lover boy is going to be dropping September 3rd. See, I saw that and I didn't know if it was an Internet hoax or it was legit. Um, but I mean, hey, Drake got the got the clout. He got the paper to do whatever he wants. Um, I like Drake. Some well, I like there's some music I'm like, eh, but then I understand his position and he has to make certain records for certain people. And, you know, I get it. But for the most part, since Drake Drake's been out. He's been a, you know, a, a, a dope MC. You know, you can say what you want about his bars. Um, does he write them? Does he not? I mean, that whole thing, they tried to expose him, but Drake can rap. At the end of yeah. the day, Drake can rap. I mean, you can say what you want. He, he clearly has bars. He didn't get to where he's at by having someone ghostwrite all his music. No. Um, so, but now Drake has really established his spot in hip hop as one of the greats, and you have to tip your cap to him. After nothing was the same, nothing was really the same with him, in my opinion. <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> well, I like what you did there. I like what you did there. Yeah, it, it just wasn't. Because I, I, he was actually rapping. If you hear the song Tuscan Leather, Pound Yo, Cake. Tuscan Leather, that's that's one of my favorite Drake records. Um, it's, it's funny, I was listening to Sirius XM and it's over popped on. I know way too many. Off of Thank Me Later. That was actually on the NBA 2K with 11 soundtrack? It might have been. I think it was the 11 soundtrack. Yeah, but I mean, like, that's a, like, going back, listen, that's a dope record. Yeah. You know, the way the beat's constructed and this, you know, the lyrics, like, he has a totally different rhyme style, obviously, because that was, you know, 10 years ago. But it's, like, playing it now, like, it has legs. It's it, It has longevity. Um, and I was just like, yo, this is a dope record. I need to put this back on one of my playlists, you know? <laughs> people were complaining about Drake when he first came out and even hip hop around then. I, I think people should have really waited. Like, where are the critics now? That's what I say, because there's not enough. Back then, they were so judgmental of artists. Drake wasn't getting the pass that he was getting and all those artists back in the 2011 era. But then we moved to this day and age. Social media comes out and you put a little in front of your name, you're a superstar. And apparently you're just <laughs> you're, you're just this great artist. And it's just, I don't know where the critics are. Um, yeah, you put a little or you put a, a, a young. A young, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <sometimes> <laughs> a big, uh, either one of those three. But I mean... What, what, listen, when Drake dropped, I was one of the people who uh, I was just like, yo, I see greatness in this kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the first mixtapes that he had, I was like, okay, this kid is different. Something something says, okay, we need to pay attention. You know, and this was around the same time Section 80 dropped with Kendrick and I got put on the Kendrick. So it's like, okay, I'm paying attention to these two. J. Cole was out. I really wasn't feeling his music the same way, but I was like, I still took notice. So those were some of the MCs back then. It was like, okay, these guys, like, this is the next class. This is the next group of, you know, great artists that's going to carry us for the next however many years. Yeah. But I mean, as far as today goes, like, I I don't even know. Like, it's it's weird just the way things operate today and, and who is in the top spot and who, I, I don't I don't know. Again, I just sit back if the music's good, I'll rock with it. You yeah. Know? And, and then, DJing's changed too. Oh, it, no you can just press a button and <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, you're right. It's 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 a totally different game. 
And it's one of the reasons why this says retired. I got to a point to where, and, and, and I'll say this, I will, I will love to DJ. I'm probably gonna go somewhere and DJ tonight. I'm in my hometown. So I'll probably go DJ somewhere tonight. But doing it as a profession, it's a young man's game. And it, it's just something that I was like, I, and no disrespect to no older DJs, nothing like that, but it's not for me to deal with everything that you have to do. Not even, not even the performance part. The performance part is separate, but just the business aspect and dealing with club owners, promoters, and I'm just like, yo, this ain't it. You yeah. know, this, this is not for me. And then you get to the performance and sometimes you, it's, the crowd isn't what you think it's gonna be and they're not feeling you're sad. Like there's been plenty of great nights for me, but it just got to a point where it was like, it, it started to seem like there were more bad nights than good nights. And I was just like, yo, like, let me just focus on broadcasting because that has stronger, stronger legs, better longevity for me long-term to focus on that than trying to play at these clubs till 2 a.m. every night. Yeah. And I agree with you on that. The DJing has changed in so many ways. And he actually during the whole quarantine process and COVID's still out here. And I think it's, yeah. I think it's getting worse than what it was last year. To be honest, you see all these people, Drake had COVID. You would think that he would be untouchable. I think Kiss just sat, shut down their concert. I was reading because they have COVID. You see all these major artists, Jim Jones had COVID, all these major artists in the music industry going down now with COVID and they're vaccinated. Yeah. And that's the crazy thing. And it's, like you said, it, it seems worse than it was last year. And in a sense, I see that, uh, I, I don't know. It's an invisible killer out there that we still don't have all the information on. Even if you're vaccinated, like you said, people are still getting COVID. Some people are still dying after they're vaccinated. All I can do is make sure that I am healthy enough to you know, fight it make sure you're vaccinated. I'm, I'm not, the, I'm not going to tell people to get vaccinated. I'm not that guy, but if you feel like it's right for you, go ahead and do it. Um, but I mean, it's, it's tough out here. Like it, yeah. it really is. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's going to happen any day. No, you don't. It's insane. It's really changed things for, for the worst, but what's a positive you could take out of this whole experience for your career? Uh, as far as what the, the quarantine, the and, quarantine and the COVID yeah. thing, because everyone's had a, a reevaluation of themselves during this time. When it, when it first happened, it did help me refocus on my actual broadcasting career. And I remember once we got back in the studio, I felt like a completely different person because we were obviously locked up for a couple of months. And I had the time to actually watch different people on air, especially Mike Greenberg. Shouts out to Greeny on Get Up in the Morning. I really watched him a lot and I started really paying attention to how great hosts operate and how they delegate and how they write. And it really, I, I kind of went back to school in a sense and said, okay, let me look at what I'm doing and let me, how, how can I get better? So that was one thing. The other part was actually being able to DJ. You know, I saw D-Nice do it and it became a thing for a lot of different DJs. So I would get online and play for a little bit. We built a little, you know, following and there would be people in the chat, great interaction. Everybody knew each other. So I would jump on probably a couple of times a week and just have fun with it. And I hadn't DJed that much in years, but it was cool to get on there. You don't have to worry about club owners or promoters. You set your own playlist. Okay, I'm doing a Pharrell set tonight. This mm -hmm. is what we're doing. And like, everybody's going to rock with it. 
You yeah. know, so that those those two things being able to reevaluate my career and get better, but then also get back in the DJ space. Cause like I said, I'll always love DJing. Like I will always love it. Like the just the performance itself, I will always love it. It's just the other parts. I'm like, nah, bro, that ain't that ain't it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Before we get into more basketball talk though, I'd love to have your top five MCs of all time. It could be MCs or hip hop artists. Ooh, okay. All right. Um, so this is always tricky for me. Uh, <laughs> so my top five is 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 weird. So um, so it's like this. Jay-Z is my favorite artist. He's number one. Um, Ghostface and Raekwon to me are one person. So they, they, they count as one person. Uh, Method Man and Red Man are one person. So that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got I got Nas and a surprise I got the game. Ooh, the game. I like the game. That he's very underrated. The game is never brought up. He has classic albums, Doctor's Advocate. The documentary is it's, it's that's a certified classic. The Red Album documentary two was amazing. When you look at his catalog, he yo the game is and people give him. You know, they bust his balls, you know, they name drop. What? Listen, the dude can rap. Yeah. And he <laughs> understands how to put pick great beats and put together sequencing albums. Um, you talked about the documentary too. Like, I listened to that thing straight through. To me, it plays out like a movie. And that's one of the albums I think that people slept on. But I listen, I actually, I've actually edited that so it's one track and it just plays through whenever I listen to it. Wow. So, um, so that's, even though it's not really a top five, like that's, I mean, you can't separate Ghost and Ray. Like to me, that's like Meth and Red are one and then Nas is Nas, um, you know, and, and people like, how come Big's, Biggie's not, I love Big, but to me, this encompasses your entire career. Love Biggie, but when you look at his body of work, it's like you got two albums, maybe you can say three because it's a double and you have a lot of different singles and guest appearances. So to me, like he's still a, he's top, he's top 10 to me, but as far as full body of work, like 30 year career, all these artists that are in my top five, they've been out and they put out so much product over these years. So that's why those guys are my top five. I like that. I like the game one because the documentary two was one of my favorite albums when it dropped on me with Kendrick Lamar. Then you have the, the standing on Ferraris with Diddy, yeah, yeah, you flipped yeah. the Diddy with the with kicking the door. The door, yeah, yeah. Nah, I mean, like, and the thing I love most about the game is that he understands the history of hip hop. Mm -hmm. So not only can he rap, but he pays homage so much. Like those first, what four tracks on that album, he pays homage. He samples Erica Badu. Yep. And uh, there are in between each track. There's a there's a Gangstar uh, reference, mm -hmm. um, and he has a Brandy reference, and then on the next track that's standing on Ferrari. So like he always pays homage to, you know, the the legendary artists that some people might forget about. Nobody like people. Some people don't don't, don't know who Gangstar is. No, they hear that take it personal in there. Like uh, not take no step into the arena. That's that. I think that's the one that he used. But um, they hear that's like, yo, that sounds familiar, you know, and they'll go back and maybe do their history. But I love the fact that the game got bars, he picked great beats, and he pays homage to, to the great artists. Mm -hmm. Guru's underrated. No question. 
no question. Rest in peace to Guru. Gangstar is one of my favorite groups ever. DJ Premier is in my top five producers of all time while, while we're at it. So Just Blaze, <laughs> Pharrell, DJ Premier, Teddy Riley. Those, those are my four. And then depending on the day, you know, like you might put Dre in there not the slight Dre, but, and then there's new producers out now that I really, you know, rock with tall black guy. Um, like there's, you know, Bongo on the track. Like there's a lot of guys, but, but those four, DJ Premier, Pharrell, Just Blaze, Teddy Riley. Those are like my favorite four producers. I like that you said Teddy Riley, the new Jack Swing era guy. I mean, the first, the first record that I told you about, the, uh, the show, and like Teddy Riley had a hand in those records back then. You know, people don't know that he produced It Takes Two. Like he's, mm -hmm. I mean, even before the New Jack era was, you know, he created it, there's so many records. And even since the New Jack era ended, he's had his hand and influenced so much different music. You know, when it comes to the verses, he's probably not the best, but you know, but as far as his, his music goes, man, Teddy Riley is, a national treasure, man. Yes. And thank God that you, there's people out there still recognize them and, and big them yeah. up like you because there's, there's not, not too many do. And the, he needs to be recognized more. People, no question. They, they shouldn't always just run the Dre and Timbaland. You got to run the Teddy <laughs> Riley and the people yeah. that came before no Dre question. and Timbaland because those weren't the innovators. They, they put their own path in the game, but. Right, right, right. No I'm going to bring up this artist for you who's in my top five. And I, I think he really doesn't get the amount of justice that's deserved. And he was the first Latin rapper to go platinum and that's big pun. <laughs> that's not the big pun, man. It's, it's funny. I'm, I'm about to pull a game and name drop. I just text, I was texting fat Joe this morning and giving him his flowers. Cause uh, Joey crack is one of the best people. Uh, not even in the rap game, but just period. He's been very good to me. He helps a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And um, I always make sure to give Joey Crack his flowers. But on the subject of pun, pun was great. And again, pun falls in that category. But like with Big to me, it's just like, there's not like, we've been listening to rap for like 20, 30 years now. While I love pun, it's just like, to me, there's just not enough material for me personally to put him yeah. in my personal top five. But no, no question of a, a, a dynamic <laughs> lyricist, you know, like no question. Yeah, Capital Punishment, that's a certified yeah. classic. Yes, it is. Um, the track with my favorite track on there is besides Twins, uh, the track with Inspector Deck and Prodigy. I love those three like going at it. That's that album is dope. And then then you came up with Nori like oh yeah, that's that's a good one. There's some joints on that album, man. Like it it, it is a certified classic. Yeah, super lyrical with Black Thought. Yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> And Black Thought has slept on so much. And yep. he's, he's, a, he's a dope MC, like, man. But yeah, shout out to Big Pun. Shout out to Joey Crack. I love you, my brother. You already know what it is. Yeah, shout out to Fat Joe. He was actually on the show last year. He actually granted me an interview. And nice. that was that was great. He's a legend. Shout out to him because he just he just released his newest project with DJ Drama. What would yeah. Big do 2021? I texted him about, about that, too, because there's a record on there that I love. I was like, yo, like... <laughs> this demon girl, like this demon girl record is hot. And like, the thing is like crack always sends me records. Like he'll text me stuff. Um, I was salty cause he didn't send me a link for this one, but I, was, <laughs> I know, I know he had, he's had a lot going on. Like he just had his birthday. So I wasn't going to hassle him about it, but 
Um, Crack has been so consistent. You know, he doesn't always get his due as as a top MC, but you know, he's been consistently one of the one of the best rappers in the game. And the best thing about Crack is he's been able to and you know what? I take that. Uh, Shouts out to E40, number one. E, E40, I, I have a top six. E40's in there. Mm. Um, but when you think about Joe Crack, E40, they have reinvented themselves over and over and over and over and stayed relevant for the past, what, three, four decades? Mm-hmm. How, what, since the, since the 90s? Yeah. And they've stayed relevant and they stayed in the mix and they st- they're still dropping hits. And so um, those are those are two MCs that don't get their due. But I, I love E40. Like E40, I, and I can't even keep up with all his albums because he has like damn near thirty albums. But <laughs> E40 is a real one. He shows me love, and man, like shouts out to E40. Yeah. I can't say enough good things about Forty Water. The, the the Bay Area legend and Fat Joe. People don't realize he's not just a mainstream Fat Joe, but in the '90s, digging in the crates. That's Yo. how he got his breakthrough. <laughs> See, that's that's my that that's my favorite Fat Joe. Yeah, Fat jealous ones envy represent. I'm talking about Fat Joe the gangster. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Flojo. Flojo is one of my favorite records of all time. So watch the sound on that on that first album. Uh, like. Yeah, that yeah, Don, Don Carter's like that whole John Blaze, like that whole Joey. I I stopped liking Fat Joe when he was doing the you know the Ashanti records. Oh, what's love? The R. Kelly records, and I was just like, we but then it. at the same time, like I I understood why he was doing it, but I was like, yo, this this is Flojo. Like I don't want to see Flojo on the screen <laughs> like doing like dancing, and but I, but I get it. Like I understood why he did it. You know. <laughs> Yeah, he he's created a lot of hit records, especially for underground yes. hip hop. Oh man, uh, Joey Crack is the best man. I yeah. love man. He's the best. Yeah, and you know I want to get into your parties. What was the the biggest party that you DJ throughout your career? And you DJ for Deion Sanders and countless amounts of others. But what was the biggest party that you ever DJed? And who was the celebrity that you DJed for? Um, well, so it kind of breaks down separately. So the biggest celebrity I've ever DJ for, I had the opportunity to open for Beyonce on her Mrs. Carter world tour in 2013. And it was, it wasn't something that was set up. It was a last minute deal. It just kind of came together. And, um, while working with the Mavericks, I'm at the American Airlines Center. That's where they play. So I had a great relationship with those people. So I would DJ events for them in certain situations. So something happened and whoever their opening act was, they couldn't go. And I'm in New Orleans at Essence Fest and they call me and I ignore the call. Then they call back and say, listen, Beyonce's performing tonight. Can you open for her? And I was like, wait, what? So um, I figured something out, got on a plane, got back to Dallas and I was the opening act for Beyonce. It was... Uh, a short 20 minute set. Um, there's there's some footage out there. It's not great. This was kind of in that in-between era when social was kind of popping, but not really. Um, so there's some footage out there. I got some decent footage, but it was all last minute. So I really couldn't plan. So Beyonce is the biggest artist I've ever performed for or worked with. But as far, and there was, I would say about 19, 18, 19,000 people in the crowd that night. I got a dope picture with like a selfie with everybody in the back. So that's one thing. But as far as biggest parties consistently, there was another party that I did every year on New Year's outside of the arena. And it was called Big D N Y E. And it was basically New Year's Rockin' Eve 
but the Southwest version. So there's like 40,000 people out there and I'm the DJ for the entire night. So they got acts that come out, but I'm performing in between the acts. I get my own set, you know, I'm bringing in the, the New Year's ball. So I did that for like seven years. So that was dope. No, excuse me, five years, five, five. years. Five years. So that's like 40, 50,000 people. You know, I've done events with 60,000, like for Final Four. Um, so there's been many like huge stadium type events that I've done. Um, I'm no stranger to that. I love the crowd. There's this, there's just the energy that that you feel that you get that you can't really put into words. Um, but no, like that. That's that's the part of DJing that I love. Like getting yeah. that reaction when you drop a certain record and they know the words. You take you take the the sound down and they're singing the words and like you just had this synergy. Those are the best moments. And we got to get into some Dallas Mavericks talk too, because I want to get into this important play. And it was Vince Carter in 2014. We remember a game three against the Spurs in the playoffs. He hits that game winning buzzer in the corner. Right. Oh man. What, how, what was your reaction in, in covering the team to that shot? Because that's one of the biggest shots probably in history. It's probably right next to the Ray Allen shot. That was huge for the Mavericks. The crazy thing was I was actually gone. That was, Oh wow. So you were gone at that point. That was that was the the first year after I left and I was actually in Chicago so I wasn't there covering the team but I do remember watching that game but now I mean that that was a huge moment and it was weird because we never saw and this was back in like 2011 2012 so like when Vince Carter went to the Mavericks like Vince Carter going to the Mavericks that doesn't make sense like now we look at it okay he had a long career and he went to different teams but it was just weird seeing him playing for the Mavericks it was cool but it was like it's weird so I actually got to cover Vince uh his first year there and then I was gone after that so Vince was always great we you know we had a, a working relationship and sometimes we kick it but um but not him hitting that shot that was a that was a dope moment for the Mavericks it's almost that this was the shot that he had to make because we had to play the Sixers against AI in the beginning of his career in the playoffs. He missed the shot in the corner. Yeah, nah, that, that if he makes that shot, everybody looks at Vince Carter different because we know the story game seven, instead of being with this team, he goes to, you know, his graduation in North Carolina flies back. And if he hits that shot, like it turns into a, a movie. Yeah, you know, this guy is so great, but he missed the shot and then like the narrative shifts. But regardless, we all know Vince's place in the history of the game. No question. He's going to be a Hall of Famer and um, just a good dude, man. So, yeah. I mean, and one of the most explosive athletes. And I'll say this. I love Mike. Dr. J was great. Kobe was dope. Dominique was great, but the best dunker of all time, whether it be exhibition or in game, no question is Vince Carter. I agree. I 100% agree with you. And I want to get into some Knicks talk here because you used to kill the Knicks back in the day, but they've turned their reputation around and they're actually a competent team. And hey, at least you're not on ESPN because there's this theory going around. If you're a Knicks hater, you're getting canned <laughs> because Max Kellerman's gone. Rachel Nichols is gone and they're known to, to speak out against the Knicks and clown oh. them. So. <laughs> this is the thing. So my, my relationship with the Knicks and, and I have nothing against the Knicks, but I grew up a Bulls fan. Mm -hmm. So naturally, like there's still like the rivalry. But as I've gotten older and being a professional, I have friends that are Knicks fans mm -hmm. and they are just obnoxious. So it just comes down to me busting their balls about different things because they're so obnoxious about the Knicks. Shouts out to Fat Joe. Shouts <laughs> out to Ben Lyons. Shouts out to uh, my producer, Cap, 
there's just they're they're like what's the best word they're they're delusional about yeah, their they are and 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 like i just like to to be the petty guy and and poke the bear um but but the nba is better when the knicks are good 100 I'm, I'm glad to see leon rose come in you know worldwide west they come in and actually change the culture because it was really bad at one point and people aren't a fan of james dolan i don't know him personally i don't I, like him either i don't like him yeah like like i know people that that love james dolan and i know people that don't really rock with him like that so either way um him being the owner has had a negative effect on that franchise overall you know you can't have situations where you know, Charles Oakley is being, you know, wrestled down in the arena. You know, Patrick Ewing comes into the arena and the security asks him, who are you? You know, you can't have those situations. You can't have Spike Lee who's been a season ticket fan holder and, you know, they harass him when he tries to enter. Like those things shouldn't happen. And that to me, from my opinion, comes from the top. But aside from all that, see the Knicks put it together and, you know, actually put together a, a team, a winning culture. Like I'm, I'm happy for the city of New York and I'm happy for all my Knicks fans. And, um, you know, like I said, the, the NBA is better when the Knicks are good. Yeah. yeah. You think that they make a leap over the fourth seed or you think they stay at the fourth seed this year with the additions of Kemba Walker and Evan Fournier? Man, I love Kemba. I'm really worried about him health-wise. You know, I would talk to him on occasion and, and he's have, have this, you know, that, that lingering knee problem. And I'm really worried about that. Um, as far as Evan Fournier, if we're going to get the Evan Fournier that played in the Olympics, you know, maybe you got a, a better <laughs> shot, you know, like the Evan Fournier that was playing for the Celtics. You know, I don't know, but, um, the Olympic Evan Fournier was different. I'm, I'm interested to see, to me, the Knicks, they, they got to get another piece. And I know they picked up different pieces, but to me, it's like, I think you need another, top tier player. Julius Randle is great. He's an all-star, most improved player. All the accolades are well-deserved. But to me, it's like you need a, like a, a guy, like somebody who is a top tier, all NBA first team player to be with that roster so they can take that like seriously. Yeah. I know I was hearing the rumors of Miles Turner because you saw him working out with Julius Randle in the gym. There were all these rumors that the Knicks were being aggressive with him on draft night. I would prefer him over Mitchell Robinson, to be honest. Well, you know, those those guys are, are Texas boys. Uh, Julius Randle played in Plano and um, Miles Turner's down the street at Euless Trinity. I'm familiar because they were kids from the area. Um, I could see that happening. I mean, Miles Turner is one of the best rim protectors in the league by far. You know, you have him, Rudy Gobert, you know, obviously Joel Embiid, you know, those are great rim protectors. But I mean, if we're going to compare Miles Turner and Mitchell Robinson, I'm going to go with Miles Turner, obviously. I mean, and then also the offensive game that'll bring to you, he can stretch the floor, shoot, shoot the, the three. three. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm not sure what's his situation with his injury. I know he had a, a, a foot injury or something last year, but to me, he'd be a, a great addition. For, uh, for the Knicks. Mm -hmm. Let's get into your Bulls. How are you feeling? Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan. Oh, let, let you don't have Laurie Markin in anymore. He's in Cleveland now. I got to slow down because I can't, like, they're not my Bulls anymore. Like No, <laughs> only in the 90s. It's not even that. It's not like, they're not, like, the Mavs aren't even my Mavs anymore. It's like, once I get in a position, it's like, you, you become, obviously, you're going to be biased to a certain extent because, like, you're human. But it's like I'm a neutral observer. Like I really don't care anymore. I don't care who wow. wins because it doesn't. It doesn't. I'm not a fan anymore. 
I appreciate good basketball wherever it comes from, mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not, I'm not out rooting for the Mavericks to win. Uh, I'm not rooting. Like if I know people that work for the team, like you want to see them have success. A couple of years ago, we had every coach for the Lakers come through NBA TV, Frank Vogel, Jason Kidd, Lionel Hollins all came through in different stops. So I had never been a Lakers fan, but I was happy when they won in the bubble because it's like, yo, I work with all those guys and I'm happy that they had success. Um, but not like I'm not rooting for nobody like but, you know, the Bulls did make some some cool additions. I'm interested to see if Lonzo Ball, like if this is really the guy that he's going to be or did he just play like this because it was a contract year, you know, but um, but him and, and Zach Levine together, uh, they I'm, I'm interested to see what they can do like what what can they do with what they have you know it's going to be interesting yeah it's it is going to be interesting and you know just getting into more basketball talk here there's an important documentary on netflix i'm sure you saw it with the malice of the palace I, now we know what happened with the whole instance and everything but i want your take on how the media portrayed these players being a part of the media like these are your co-workers some of them <laughs> um i mean it, at the end of the day people like it, it, it comes down to the hype. People are gonna hype certain things up. They wanna drop interest because it, it all comes down to rates, ratings and revenue. They wanna get the eyeballs to watch the programming so they can. So I, I, I get how the machine works and I understand how ESPN works. At Turner, we do things a little bit differently but they want to get the traction and people talking about it. So they're gonna run things over and over and over. I didn't really like how they put the spin on that story, but I mean, like, we're looking at something that happened 15 years ago. A lot, a lot of things have changed since then. That's an event that shouldn't have taken place. Like, when you look at it top to bottom, just from the run our testing to Ben Wallace and you know him having a family member that he lost. There's just so many different. Like, none of that stuff should like it. It really shouldn't have even happened. Um, but man, it, and it's just a tough situation just thinking about all that. And I remember watching that game and like, like what the, what is happening right now? I have never <laughs> seen that, but they did run that over and over again because it, it was a huge story. We had never seen anything like that. And Lord willing, we don't ever see anything like that again. No, you know? yeah. I don't like how the media portrayed the players to be thugs because that's just, you know, I have this theory. There's a lot of racism in, in sports media. I talked to Chris Broussard about this, and he, he seems to think that there is among, amongst white reporters. And you're going to hear from the Fox News people, of course. We, we know they are. <laughs> I, I really don't like how they portrayed the players to be thugs because it's just it, this is the shut up and dribble mentality. And then how about that? They were actually probably fighting for their lives that night because you have chairs being thrown at them. If someone throws a soda or a chair at me, I'm going into the stands too. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. The portrayal of athletes as, as thugs. And then when you look at the documentary, the limited security that they have, and even the officers that were there, some were coming after the players, which is which makes that's bananas like that's asinine what, what are you doing going up you're about to spray a player with mace but you have fans so that that whole thing was a huge mess um you know the late great david stern he handled it the way he handled it for a reason was it the best way you know 
at the end of the day, he's the judge, jury, and executioner, so he can make his decision. But um, I just, I, most of all, just as a lover of basketball, I hate that we didn't get to see that team at its peak. Yeah. We didn't get to see that team compete with Detroit in the conference finals at full strength or maybe return to the NBA finals and go up against whether it was the, the Lakers again or whether they went up against the Spurs. We didn't get to see that team, which clearly had championship potential. We didn't get to see that team at full strength. No, he didn't. It's a shame. And poor Jermaine O'Neal, he really got the blank end of the stick. <laughs> yeah, man. He was a great talent. Like, yeah. he was one of those guys who came in, like, you know, you had a, that, that group of, you know, athletic power forwards, Chris Webber, you know, Tim Duncan, Rasheed Wallace, Kevin Garnett. He was a part of that group that came in in the, you know, late 90s, early 2000s that was like, you know, a different player. And it's like, yo, like, he can ball, but he's athletic. Shoot, he can do everything. Mm -hmm. I want to get into your time and doing red carpet interviews because you've had the opportunity to do that. There's been times you've been starstruck. You were starstruck by a particular actress. <laughs> I am a professional. I, I carry myself in a certain way. I generally don't stumble my words. However, one time working a red carpet event for the Dallas Cowboys, Melissa Ford I had a conversation with her and I was just enamored and I, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was one of those moments to where you lose your professionalism, but however, when you see who you're talking to, you know, I think I got a pass from the homies. Yeah. And then, and then but Serena came along and everything was good. Oh, and Serena, like Serena was cool. That wasn't, Serena wasn't the issue. Now Serena is obviously, you know, gorgeous, the greatest to ever do it. I didn't have any issues. It, it was it was Melissa Ford that got me. That that was that was yeah. I'm I'm the I'm thinking about it right now and I'm getting flustered just because it's one thing to see Melissa Ford and if you guys don't know who Melissa Ford is, just google her. You'll see. Video fiction <laughs> from, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s that was, you know, probably the highest paid in in the history of the game, but when you see her on camera on screen that's one thing but when she's standing right in front of you and you see the dress that she has on and she looks you in your eyes and it's just like yo like well what's happening right now <laughs> put a spell on me and I don't even realize it so uh but yeah no nah, but Serena was cool that that wasn't an issue but Melissa yeah, no. Ford Melissa Ford got me yeah it happens it happens to the best of us <laughs> <laughs> it really does Melissa Ford got me, man, and I'm not, I, I do not deny it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I have the pictures so yeah. I can be like, yo, just, just see, look, okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Then I could talk to her again the next year and then everything was cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you've also done some voice acting. You've accomplished a lot in this industry thus far. What do you feel as though you brought to the broadcasting and media world that no one else has done? What is the Roe Parish legacy? Well, the Roe Parish legacy is still being developed. I feel like, and we spoke about it when we talk about the game, I like to feel like I'm that guy who understands the history of the game and I'm gonna pay homage, whether it be to the basketball players from the past or it's MCs or it's broadcasters. Every year, if, we're on, if I'm on the air for Stuart Scott's birthday, I'm going to drop his phrases all through the show. 
whether it's a booyah, whether it's a cooler than the other side of the pillow, you know, the Lord says you got to rise up. I'm going to drop all those on his birthday purposely to pay homage for those that weren't around to like hear him and his catchphrases just to keep his name out there. And I'm going to definitely shout him out. Yeah. So I'm going to do that. I'm going to quote MCs. So I'm, I'm a guy who understands the culture and brings the culture to sports because they're already intertwined already. And there's already guys out there that have done it. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know if I've separated myself yet, but I like to be in that same category as those guys that can understand the game, but also understand the culture and bring them together because everybody loves music and everybody loves sports. So why not have somebody that understands them both? Yeah, you got that right. And that is going to be the Royal Paris legacy. And I, I want to see you get more enemies. I want to see that happen. <laughs> I, appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. And just keep being great and, and what you do for broadcasting because it's it's entertaining. You're one of the best out here. And I don't think you get your flowers that you deserve. Nah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And um, I don't do it for the accolades. It's more so because you love doing it. No question. No question. I love doing it. Like I said, you get up, you're motivated, you approach it like the first day of your internship. You just want to do something to where it's like, I didn't come here to be average. I want to be great at this. And I don't want to half-ass. I don't want to mail it in. I'm going to come in here and do my absolute best every time I show up. Like, every time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Ro Parrish, I think uh, we should probably end the show with this. I think it's going to be Nets-Lakers if if they're healthy, I, I hope the Nets don't win. I can't stand them, but the, <laughs> as a like Knicks fan, Knicks fan. <laughs> I really can't. I, I think I think Katie's a cupcake still, from going to the <laughs> Bay Area all the way to the Nets. But <laughs> uh, I mean, if if the Lakers and Nets play in the finals, I don't think. And I know you say you you hate the Nets, but you're not gonna be upset. Yeah, like at the end of the day, people love basketball and people love stars and people love big cities. You know, even though Milwaukee just won, shouts out to them, people want to see the stars. So yeah. if you get a situation to where you have, I don't know, seven of the top 10, 15 players in the NBA on one court, who's going to complain about that? You know, and then you got the storylines. So you got LeBron on one side, now team with Westbrook. So you're going to get Westbrook giving the side eye to KD while meanwhile Kyrie is giving the side eye to LeBron you know and then James Harden and and the Broward just sitting there looking like wait hold on what's all this going on with these two so you have all these different storylines but then you have the best players in the game in the two biggest markets in the United States I mean you you really can't go wrong if those two teams end up matching up. And then the actual product on the floor. I mean, you would think if everybody's healthy, although the Lakers are old AF, you would think that it's still going to be quality basketball if all teams are healthy. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And, and let's see what happens. Let's see, because yeah. things happen during the season. Things, exactly. <laughs> A lot of things can happen. We never know. Like the NBA is totally unpredictable. You don't know what trades are going to happen, what injuries, what players going to want to leave. Like you never know. Like who would have thought that James Harden would have gotten traded last year? Like we're like, okay, he's with Houston. He's the face of the fr franchise. Like nobody saw any of that coming. 
So you ne- you never know what's going to happen in the league, but that's yeah. that's why we pay attention. That's why we love it. That's right. You, you got that right. Ro Paris, is there anything else you would love to tell the audience here today? Anything that you want to promote? Anything that you got going? Um, you know, appreciate everybody for watching on Turner Sports. I have re-up, so I will be there again this upcoming season. You can also catch me making my acting debut on BET this fall, Games People Play, Season 2. You will see Ro Parrish on, I believe, five or six of the ten episodes. So it's it's myself, it's Lauren London, Carucci, um, Jackie Long. There's a number of people on there that you're familiar with. And uh, like I said, my acting debut will be made. I'm actually playing myself. So um, it's kind of a cool situation. So you look out for my acting debut this fall. Mm -hmm. And congratulations on that. I didn't even know that you were making your acting debut. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. I I kept it kind of quiet. We shot shot, um, earlier this year in Atlanta. It was a situation. And shout shout out to Coach Prime, because again, relationships in this in this business or everything it's not something that i had to audition for it's something that literally fell in my lap one night i'll just give you a quick story one night saturday i'm at the crib working on something prime facetimes me he does this every once in a while he facetimes me hold on like wait wait what and he just puts somebody else on the phone and next thing you know we're having a conversation so he puts me on the phone with the executive producer who tells me about the show. Nice to meet you. I've heard about you. We're looking for this character. You seem to be the person that fits this role. Would you like to do it? Like, wait, what? Is this really happening right now? Like, wait, hold on. You want me to be an actor? I don't have any, well, I'm not going to say any formal training, but I have had some training, but you don't know me. You just see me on TV. You want me to be an actor. Where do I sign up? So um, it's just moments like that that are amazing, great relationships. You do, do good work, you work with people and you know, it'll come back. And you know, karma's, karma's a, a, a real thing and I believe in it. So shouts out to Coach Prime who, um, you know, he didn't do everything. And he'll, just, he'll be like, he'll, he'll, he'll tell me, he's like, yo, I didn't do nothing. You know, you did, I heard you, I heard you did your thing too. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. So. Um, but now, shouts out to him who played a major role in, uh, you know, assisting me to make my acting debut. Congratulations. And, that, and that's just great to hear. And that's that's inspiring. You have people in the industry that actually, you know, give you game and support you. Yes. No, that's so important. And, and I'd be remiss if I don't shout out Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Shaquille O'Neal, of course, Ernie Johnson, the, the legends from inside. Those guys have been so amazing to me. Um, you know, I have great relationships with each one of them. You know, me and Kenny are going to talk about New York hip hop and, and talk about oops. Me and Charles Barkley are going to hang out and have some drinks together and talk reckless to each other. Me and Shaq are going to talk about music and ladies and DJing. Like, you know, me and Ernie are going to have a different conversation, mainly about basketball. But those, <laughs> guys, um, you know, those, those guys are they're the best for the reason. They're Hall of Famers in television. They're Hall of Famers in, in the Basketball Hall of Fame. Like, But they're Hall of Fame people. Yeah. And I enjoy every moment I get to spend with those guys. And everybody with, with NBA TV. You know, Brendan Haywood, Grant Hill, um, Candace Parker, all, all these legendary players. Sam Mitchell, Isaiah Thomas, who I love the life. One of my absolute favorite. Like, I love working with everybody at my job they all show love and um it's just a great family environment 
Yeah. I want to thank you for coming on the show, man. I really do appreciate your time and just all the jewels that you dropped on the show and stories and the, the incredible hip hop talk that we had. Nah, man, I appreciate you for having me. It's all good. I, I, I love to talk hip hop all day. Like that's, that's, that's my thing. I, I love the, I love the music. Yeah. And it, it's rare to find people like that nowadays. I mean, I, I, if it's in your age bracket, then it's fine. But my age, it's, I don't know about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, it is what it is, man. But hey, I'm glad that you're one of those people that can appreciate, you know, good music and really understand the culture. Yeah, man. And of course, and you just got to keep hip hop going here. Ro Paris, I want to thank you again for coming on. And, and you're always welcome. Anytime you have anything to promote, if you have any projects, I'd love to have you back on. No question. Just let me know, man. I'm good to go on anytime, man. I appreciate you for having me. Of course, man. I want you to enjoy the rest of your day and stay safe. No, no doubt. Will do. Love, yeah. respect, and salute. Salute, man. All right, no doubt. All right, yeah. peace. Peace. peace.